When Hitler was interviewed by a Nazi official about how he was going to get away with his Jewish Holocaust, he said, well, who remembers the Armenians? In terms of Armenia and Armenians, like they are basically uh, our Christian ancestors, correct? I mean, this is yes. where it started. Yes. So when Noah's Ark landed, Noah's Ark landed in Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat is in ancient Armenia. So we always kind of joke around that everybody's Armenian because, you know, <laughs> man, man, mankind came from, you know, Noah's three sons. There has been this starvation of these 120,000 people for the last 10 months in front of everybody's eyes with zero media attention. It is unbelievable to my eyes as a human, as a lover of history, as a Christian, as an Armenian. I cannot believe what is happening now that this ancient homeland of Armenians has been taken away. God bless everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I have the honor of being joined by Simone Rizkala. She is the Director of Program Growth at Endow, and she's also an advisor to the Philos Project. And that is really interesting when it comes to what we're seeing not being reported on our in Armenia right now. It's really a scary situation and something we don't know enough about. So I had to bring on an expert. Simone, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here with you. You know, I have the privilege of being an Armenian and, and the privilege of being an Armenian Catholic. And there isn't an Armenian alive today that doesn't have a story of persecution, whether that's the Armenian genocide of the 20th century, which is the first genocide of the 20th century. In fact, the word genocide was coined by a Polish jurist named Raphael Lemkin because of his observations of what happened to the Armenians. So this happened during World War I, 1.5 Armenians, and it was uh, an aggression of the Ottoman, now Turks, against the Armenians. Uh, so that that's the history from the last century. Again, there the same the descendants of the same people the turks and azeris today have stated publicly that their aims their ethnic and religious cleansing aims their genocidal aggressions toward the armenian christians today is a fulfillment of the dreams of their grandfathers this is on public record so it's a very long story from World War I to now, but in short, in 2020, uh, the Azeris attacked the Armenians again in this region called the Nagorno-Karabakh. This enclave is, is res basically is 120,000 Armenian Christians have lived there for decades, for centuries, for thousands of years. In fact, Armenians have lived in the Nagorno-Karabakh, in Armenian it's known as Artsakh, since the 7th century BC, even before Armenians were Christians. And Armenians have the spiritual significance of being the first people to declare Christianity, their national state religion, in 301 AD. Since these times that I'm referring to, Armenians have lived in the Nagorno-Karabakh in Arsakh. What happened in 2020 is that Azerbaijan attacked these people wanting to reclaim that territory for Azerbaijan. And again, now in 2023, they have succeeded 
in their goal of taking the Nagorno-Karabakh. So as of January 1st, 2024, officially the Nagorno-Karabakh Artsakh will belong to Azerbaijan. The background recently of all of this is that for the last 10 months, Azerbaijan, in front of the eyes of the entire international community, has blockaded the only route called the Latching Corridor, which permits food, medical supplies, and fuel to this enclave. So there has been this starvation of these 120,000 people for the last 10 months in front of everybody's eyes with zero media attention. In, on September 19th, which was just a few weeks ago, Azerbaijan attacked Nagorno-Karabakh with military weaponry. And in one day, the Armenians had to surrender because you've been starving them for almost a year now. And now, shamelessly, continuing to terrorize the Armenians there, as of today, a hundred of those 120,000 have left Arsakh Nagorno-Karabakh. They're living in refugee camps. They're living in their vehicles. It is chaotic. It is a disaster. And it is unbelievable to my eyes as a human, as a lover of history, as a Christian, as an Armenian. I cannot believe what is happening now that this ancient homeland of Armenians has been taken away. Why? Why are they being attacked? What's the reason? The reason why is simply because we are Armenians and we are Christians, and that gets in the way of creating a pan-Turkic region, right? This small Armenian Christian country and enclave is the only thing in that region that's getting in the way of a pan-Turkic region. It's hard sometimes for Westerners to grasp this, but think about it. You're a Christian nation that supports democracy, self-determination, freedom, Western values. That's a strange thing to have in the middle of this region that doesn't share Western values, that doesn't share free, the ideas of freedom and democracy, and that certainly doesn't share Christian values. And because I am a Westerner, I, I'm just going to come at this with my biases. Like I was raised with a Western education. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm not as aware, of course, as someone with Armenian blood, what's going on there. Can you explain what a pan-Turkic region, what, what would that mean? Yeah, it means that that Basically, if you look if you look at maps of Turkey, modern day Turkey today, if you look at an older map, you will see that a lot of Turkey today, including where my family's from, is ancient Armenia, is the kingdom of Armenia. So they have been very successful in slowly, slowly, slowly taking away Armenian land, ethnically cleansing the region. Like during World War One, all the Armenians in Anatolia were massacred, they left to the diaspora, which is why my family ended up in Egypt, or they ended up in what is now considered Armenia proper. So again, they want all that entire area to be Turkish, to be theirs, to be Muslim. So, it, you know, it's annoying to have this now little Christian country that has Western and Christian values that's getting in the way of them taking the whole the whole the whole thing something from my perspective that i observe as well it seems like a lot of people are very uneasy and hesitant to ever criticize muslim aggression and this isn't the first time in history we've seen muslim aggression anyone familiar with history knows that it, it is 
a militant religion historically. Why all of a sudden today do we see this real hesitation to levy any criticism, especially internationally, to places like Turkey that are, Turkey's a Muslim nation, and there are, the ethnic cleansing that you're referencing, it was because they were Christian and because they hated Armenians. And so to hear their president even say, uh, we need to finish the job, I'm paraphrasing, but we need to finish the job, and to not see any international outcry as, hey, watch out. You know, we could be seeing a real genocide on our hands, uh, with, especially someone with Armenian blood. Why do you think that is? Why is there the hesitation, Simone? There's, it's, it's, it's nuanced, right? But there's this real hesitation. Maybe it's because we've become so secular in the West to admit that what drives people at the end of the day is their ideological positions, which are oftentimes determined by religious conviction and belief. We don't, we don't want to admit something so uh, uh, dark, right, that simply for being Christians, you would, you would be hated. And, it, and, and what is so um, uh, unbelievable to me is I think because we've become so comfortable in the United States, so privileged, so materialistic, so consumeristic, so snowflakey, it, it's like so offensive to our sensibility that there are people in other parts of the world and in most of the world where these things really do matter. Your ideological, political, religious positions, they really do matter. And so Azerbaijan and Turkey can shamelessly say things. I mean, the mayor of Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, in 2005, speaking to a German audience, Again, this is public information said what you did to the Jews in the 1930s and 40s. That's what we're trying to do now. You should be able to understand what we are trying to do, right? We don't say things like that in public in the United States, but they are saying things like that in public in that part of the world. And we, there's a part of us that refuses to accept the truth of that. That there could that that is actually real life. So I think there are many reasons for it. I think consumerism and politically correct culture and increasing levels of secularism and an increasing anti-Christian hostility and spirit in in the West, a certain self-hatred. Uh, I think there are many reasons for it. But th that's the mayor of the capital of Azerbaijan in 2005. You did this to the Jews. You should understand more than anybody that we want to do this to the Armenians. Yeah. And you just said self-hatred. And that really was an interesting point I think you made. What do you mean by that American self-hatred? That our background is Judeo-Christian. That is Judeo-Christian values that largely shape or shaped in the past our public policy, uh, our, our, the spirit of this country. I mean, in the last century, uh, historian Howard Sasher said, and I quote, the United States quite literally kept an entire nation alive. Herbert Hoover said that school, American school children knew about Armenia a little less than England. There was a time in American history, not that long ago, 100 years ago, where everybody cared about what was happening to the Armenians, where J.D. Rockefeller convinced Clara Barton to take the Red Cross internationally for the first time, and she did, 
to Armenians to provide relief. We raised, I think, $100 million in the last century and saved many Armenian lives and, and provided much relief. So the climate, the religious and cultural climate of a country will determine where they pay attention to what's happening in the world. And the more attached you are to your comfort, to your money, more self-centered you are, the less you're going to care about what's happening, uh, you know, somewhere else. But Which is ironic because I yeah. feel like social media has allowed everyone to theoretically have a view into the entire world for the first time, maybe. And yet it seems like there's this, this apathy almost. I don't know if it's just a, a cultural difference. But one thing that I did want to ask you about, I know yeah. that America ha has actually... Uh, like the, the Biden administration has been somewhat involved uh, with this conflict. And I believe it sent aid with stipulation that you can't use it for aggressive military action. I believe this is aid to Azerbaijan, correct? Yes, we are allies with Azerbaijan. We send aid to Azerbaijan. Um, and yeah, the stipulation is that you can't use it against Armenian, uh, you know, for uh, Armenian aggression. But they haven't sanctioned Azerbaijan. So, and Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, he knows that. If you look at pictures of him and different articles, he has a smirk on his face. He can, he, he's doing and saying and accomplishing everything he wants to do because he knows. He knows he can get away with it. He knows. So while the Biden administration while President Biden did recognize the Armenian genocide of the 20th century, he hasn't really done anything, nor has his administration really done anything to help Armenian Christians. And they have barely taken Arsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, and they're already planning to attack a region of Armenia proper. And it won't stop here. It won't. Wow. Yeah. And... I, because this is such a special opportunity, I have someone who's actually Armenian, and I want to take it almost on a more personal level because I am Christian, I'm Catholic, and there is definitely like there. I mean, the word Catholicism means universal. We have people all over the world that share the same faith, and it always is inspiring to me to hear more about the faith and the willingness to sacrifice of people that face true life or death persecution. And I know the Armenians are very familiar with that. I've met some of them here in America. Uh, can you describe to me how do Armenians think about the the tremendous suffering that they've faced throughout their history, and how has that changed them as human beings and Christians? Yeah, I think to be that's a wonderful question, Ton. Thank you for asking it. To be an Armenian is to be a Christian. It is almost the same thing. To be Ar Armenian is to be a Christian. So much is the Christian identity wrapped up in the Armenian one. And I think Azerbaijan and Turkey and Azer Azeris are ethnically Turks. They know that. They have done a wonderful PR job of trying to sell the world uh, on them, look how secular they are, but they don't treat their own people very well. So when they say things like, oh, just come under Azeri jurisdiction, you can have Azeri citizenship, you can live as Armenian Christians in your ancient homeland just under Azerbaijan, like Armenians know better. Armenians are Christians, and they and a Christian value is the right to is 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 respecting man's nature as God created it, which is to be free, freedom, right? The power of reason. 
they know that they will not be able to live out their Christian freedom by people who do not value those things, right? Because that's part of a Christian theology, that man was made free, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And we want to live in our ancient land as Christians, living out our freedoms, living out uh, our, our, our democratic values and so forth. We, we, we cannot do that under, under a, a, you know, dictator oh, and one who is shamelessly ethnically and religiously cleansing us. So I think that's, that the resilience of the Armenians who have survived, I mean, we always get the short end of the stick historically. I mean, Gia talked about this is not, this is not just happened, this didn't just happen this year. I mean, this has been uh, 10 years of amazing PR and uh, buying off lobbyists and buying off journalists and influencers. And oh my goodness, I can't go into all the details of that. But but they've been doing this since the first Karabakh war. After the, so after the Soviet Union fell, there was a war between Azerbaijan and Armenia and Armenians won that war and they reclaimed that land after the Soviet Union fell. Since that time, Azerbaijan has been doing incredible incredible PR work and planning for this moment. And when our Lord says that you need to be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents, we haven't done that as Christians, and we haven't certainly done that as Armenian Christians. The way that they have brilliantly and in a worldly sense prudently planned all of this has been impressive. We have not done the same. And as, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Just, just for me to help to understand, in which ways have they planned and manipulated uh, practically? Yeah, so uh, you know, buying buying off journalists. Um, they have made an alliance with with Israel, Azerbaijan. They have, um, I mean, they, their weaponry comes from Israel. You know, one of the things that I wish that Armenians had done much sooner, and we need to start now, even though it feels too late, but we have to try is to tell our story better. The fact that most Christians and, and most Americans at least don't even know where Armenia is, or most people don't even know, or have never even heard about Armenia. This is like really bad storytelling in PR, but the Jews have done a great job with that, right? We have Holocaust museums everywhere. How many amazing Holocaust films are there that Hollywood puts out? That's, that's smart. That's so smart. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, and there's a museum of tolerance there. And I remember going there as a child and there was like a little exhibit that they put up for the Armenians, right? Because when Hitler was interviewed by a Nazi official about how he was going to get away with this Jewish Holocaust, he said, well, who remembers the Armenians? Who remembers the annihilation of the Armenians? Of course they can get away with this. So I was so grateful to the Holocaust Museum for putting um, a little corner for the Armenian genocide, right? But like, why don't we have our own museums? Why haven't we, why haven't created those films? Why, where are our exhibits? It, we're the first Christian nation, at least in the life of the church, whether Catholic or not, we have, we have done a terrible job telling our story. We need to do better in that. Whereas while we've been kind of asleep, um, Azerbaijan has been paying off journalists, has been creating alliances with Israel. I mean, they have a whole coalition of rabbis in Europe that are on their side that they have like rallied. I mean, again, I'm getting into geopolitical. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. No, seriously, yeah. it's fascinating. I mean, we've we you know we, we they, they take they take young people on all expense paid trips to Azerbaijan and show the beauty of the country and say, look how amazing we are. We're we're Western. We're secular. This is great. 
we haven't done stuff like that. To help me understand as well, our media is a Christian nation partially because a lot of the the biblical landscape was around Armenia, was around that. Well, it's a little bit east of what we consider the Middle East, I think, to my knowledge. Can yeah. you explain? And I know there's these. There's been obviously hundreds of years of disputes over the Holy Land and who who it belongs to between Islam and Christianity. Uh, but in terms of Armenia and Armenians, like they are basically uh, our Christian ancestors, correct? I mean, this is yes. where it started. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So when Noah's Ark landed, Noah's Ark landed in Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat is in ancient Armenia. So we always kind of joke around that everybody's Armenian because. You know, <laughs> man, man, mankind came from, you know, Noah's three sons that, that came from, and that started in Mount Ararat. So that's very significant. And then fast forward to 301 AD, before the Roman, before Constantine legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, which he did through the Edict of Milan in 312 AD, in 301 AD in Armenia, we declared Christianity our national state religion. The Roman Empire didn't declare the national Christianity their national state religion until 380 AD, right? It just legalized it in 312. Armenian Christianity, Armenian Christendom, Armenian spirituality is an essential part of the body of Christ. It's a spiritual heritage that belongs to all Christians. It's worth protecting for that reason, as 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 well as the fact that do you really want this region of the world to be completely dominated? by people who do not share your faith and values? Do you, is, that what, is that what you want? I mean, Israel's the only other place in the Middle East that is democratic. Isn't it, wouldn't it be good to have Armenia there too? I mean, for its own sake, but also for the sake of uh, our Western alliances. So, yeah. What, is, what does Armenia think of America? I don't know. That's a good question. I would just be curious, like, uh, if there's a frustration from, like, like there's a, they see America as this bastion of democracy still. I, I remember that was definitely like a big talking point in the 2000s of America being this kind of shining, shining city on the hill and it's, uh, it's bringing democracy everywhere. And obviously we've seen a lot of uh, really sad failures, especially oh, yeah, in the Middle East yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Are, is it still thought of as like America can help us or... Is it just like frustration for lack of help? I don't Listen, Armenia has, I don't know exactly the vibe of the people in Armenia because I'm Armenian Egyptian. I'm Egyptian Armenian. So mm -hmm. my people have been in Egypt. I can tell you what Egyptians and Armenian Egyptians. Yeah. No, think. yeah. No, from your but, personal experience, of yeah, course. But I'm just, but of course. I, no, but, no, but it's a good here, question. But. I would say that in a, in a sense, your question, look, Armenia has no economic benefit to the world. This is why no one cares about Armenia, Right. So whether if you're if you don't care about Christianity, you certainly don't care about Armenia. If you are asleep at the wheel when it comes to the to your Western values being compromised, you also don't care about Armenia because of economics. There's there, we don't have gas the way and fuel the way that Azerbaijan and Turkey do. So nobody cares, at least on a political landscape, about Armenia. So is it like oh can can America help us? Look, we'll take whatever help we can get, right? Like we were helped by Americans in a radical, amazing, miraculous way in the 20th century. I sure hope, I sure hope, Tom, that somehow in these three months leading up to the official, and I don't even know if that date is just arbitrary or just a PR date, I don't know. But my hope is that somehow American influencers and politicians and the presidential candidates 
in this country will somehow rally to make it turn the tables on Aliyev and Erdogan, the president of Turkey, and just say, look, you, we are watching you now. From now on, we're watching you because it would be absolutely devastating if the, the country of Armenia was wiped off the world map. And I hope, I hope against hope that somehow we get our Nagorno-Karabakh back. And that's the Armenian spirit. The Armenian spirit right now is we are completely brought to our knees, starvation, lost our homes. Some Armenians have set their own homes on fire rather than give it up to Azerbaijan, which they did in the 2020 war. But the heart and the desire is going to be, can we please return? Can the, can the world's players help us return to our ancient homeland? Because it's our home. And we have a right to be in our home. And, the, and what's happening now, the, the illegal action, the war crimes of the Azeris against the Armenians, it is outrageous. It is outrageous. It, for people that feel really stirred by this, is there a place that they can go to help support and get updates on what's going on in the region? Absolutely. Go to the philosproject.org forward slash save Armenia, sign up for the newsletter, and in the newsletter that you're going to get, there is, and if you don't get it, just just reach out. There is a, a document that we've put together where you can contact your presidential candidates. This Armenia issue should be in the debates, in the presidential candidate debates. This should be on everyone's radars. We should all be talking about it. This should matter. That's that's in the public square. In terms of like the church, in 2015, Pope Francis made St. Gregory of Narek, an Armenian monk, poet, theologian, the greatest of the Armenian spiritual heritage, a doctor of the church. There are only 37 doctors of the church. These are the saints that the church has elevated to the level of universal significance so that if you are a Christian, if you are a Catholic, these are the people that you should look to for your spiritual life. One of them is Armenian, which is extraordinary. I would love to see the church catechize and teach teach us about St. Gregory of Narek, tap into Armenian spirituality. Pope Francis also made St. Irenaeus of Lyon, right? That early church father, you know, very important early church father who fought, fought the Gnostic heresy. He made him a doctor of the church, and he made him a doctor of the church Say, stating that St. Irenaeus was to serve as a theological bridge between the East and the West. And there's been a lot of talk in church world about, is the church having an Eastern moment? This was a huge priority also of John Paul II, who wrote a document, Ut Unum Sint, you know, uh, that, me, that we may be one on the, the churches of the East and churches of the West. Now, I'm an Armenian Catholic, so I'm an Eastern Christian, but I'm united with the Catholic Church because we're Armenian Catholics. But the point being that with what's happening in Armenia right now, with what's happening in the world right now, what's, with what's happening in the church right now and the, the, the rise of the nuns, right? The, the rise of the religiously disaffiliated, right? Uh, disaffiliated. This is the time now to tap into our, the spiritual and cultural DNA of the East. We cannot be a healthy church if we don't breathe with both lungs, as John Paul II said, so to speak. This is a perfect time, beautiful. especially with what's happening, to do that. Yeah. And such a cool story about Dr. Church and Father of the Church. Do you draw personal inspiration from any stories from their lives or any of their teachings? From the doctors of the church? Uh, from specifically the Armenian monk and then oh. uh, Irenaeus. 
Uh, yeah, you know, yes, I do. I would say that it's interesting you ask that because this is a true story, true story, Dom. I was in the middle of writing a talk I was giving at a conference and I was quoting St. Irenaeus, who's one of my favorite saints. And I'll tell you what the quotation is. But as I was literally typing, I don't know why St. Irenaeus isn't a doctor of the church, but I really think he should be. Here's what he said. I got a text message from a former high school student. If he's listening to this, hello, Devin. And he, <laughs> said, he said, Miss Riz, cool. St. Irenaeus is being made a doctor of the church. He text messaged me that, Tom, in the middle. I'm literally typing those words. Don't know why St. Irenaeus isn't a doctor of the church yet. <laughs> and the quotation is this. And I think this is the key to, to, this, to saving civilization. This is St. Irenaeus. The glory of God is a living man. And the life of man consists in beholding God. I'll say it again. It gets paraphrased into the glory of the glory of God is man fully alive. But the real quotation is the glory of God is a living man and a life of man consists in beholding God. All the evils that we're seeing now with Armenia, with Christian persecution, with the epidemic of loneliness, with, you know, the skyrocketing uh, opioid, you know, addiction levels, pornography, all, all of these social ills can be remedied by what Joseph Pieper wrote about in his book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Oh, it's such a good book. One of such my a good book, right? We're, just, we're in a distracted age. We have not cultivated our personal vocations. We don't know what our personal missions are. The only way to discover that is to learn how to behold God's face because in seeing his face, you'll see your own and what you're called to do here and now in this entire situation. That is... Personally, my motivation is St. Irenaeus. Wow, that's beautiful. And I can tell you're an amazing teacher. It's so funny that you bring <laughs> up uh, that book, the, the Leisure, uh, Leisure uh, Joseph Pieper. Sorry, I'm blanking yep. on the, 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 base on the of title culture. here. Yep. Basis of Culture, correct. And Leisure, I think you may have kind of answered this question that came up on my mind when you brought up the rise of the nuns. And yep. we're not talking about Catholic nuns. We're talking about people with no faith. Right. And we see this agnosticism, almost worse than that. It is just a real apathy in America when it comes to belief and faith and hope, really. It just kind of feels hopeless, right. which is odd because we just spent so much time talking about what a real hopeless situation feels like in Armenia. And of course, your roots are there, your blood's there, and you're seeing this play out almost like it's a movie or something. But obviously, you live in America and you see the rise of the nuns and there is its own kind of distinct sadness and persecution. Yes. Um, how would you so i almost feel bad even bringing it up because we have like actual death going on in armenia and but it seems like there's a real spiritual death in america and sometimes yes. i feel like with martyrs there's this really beautiful faith that of course is the the red crown which is i believe so much that i'm willing to give my life to jesus christ in form of persecution and in america it's almost like i i think about it sometimes it's almost harder to to live a really long holy life and you don't have that opportunity for the the you know the crown to come on, and, it, and it's a different type of martyrdom. How do you see like the difference between what you observe and what you with your community with the Armenians, but then also what you observe in America, what that suffering's like? Yeah, absolutely. At least in the Near East, right? Um, and Armenia has been described as the easternmost edge of Western civilization. Um, 
at least there you know if you're a Christian or not. If you you know what I mean? It's clear. It's clear in many ways. And in more than Armenia, really, in places, because this is a very uh, unique situation. But in places where, yes, you know, in the Middle East, and you know you're a Christian, you're willing to die for Jesus, it's pretty clear you're a Christian. Here in the West, it's not so clear, as you pointed out, right? How do you know that you have radically surrendered your life to Christ when you have all the privileges of a materialistic culture, right? Um, so, yeah, I think it's much more spiritually dangerous in some ways to be a Western Christian because you have to, like, be extra vigilant. And it, it is poor here. We're, we are, as Mother Teresa said, America, she said. She said, I have visited many countries. I have seen much poverty. But the poorest country I've ever seen is America because she suffers from the poverty of loneliness. And why does, and, end quote, why does she suffer from the poverty of loneliness? Because she has lost her Christian roots. I look at some cultures that are, so I, I think about um, Judaism and how there's ethnic Jews. I find that really interesting because mm-hmm. at least in America with Catholicism, there's no ethnic Catholicism in the way that you're describing like Armenians basically being Christian. Like that is one and the same when you're ethnically Armenian, you're basically ethnically Christian. Yes. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people in America that they're Catholic, but they're, that's not to say that they're ethnically Catholic. Some people may be culturally Catholic, but it's not one and the same. And I, yes. I think that's sometimes a, a struggle. Um, one thing that I would like you to touch on too, uh, because we cover a lot of domestic issues and I see some of the strongest pushback to the policies that, for example, like transgender policies, uh, especially with school bathrooms or uh, pornographic books and libraries, some of the strongest defenders uh, against that are Armenians. I've noticed it a lot in California. There was a lot of protests in which they basically just have no tolerance for it, which is kind of amazing to see because like you said, there's almost a little bit of a self-hatred, I think, from Catholics that aren't ethnically Catholic or maybe haven't experienced real persecution. Uh, I want to hear from your perspective, of course, like why is that surprising you to you to see this zero tolerance policy when it comes to like things that would affect their children and things that go against Christian values from Armenians in America? You know, it's, it's, it's not. Um, I, you know, I think about my mother um, who, when she came to this country, felt like raising my sister and I was a massive battle. It was a battle between, look, you asked earlier about what do Armenians think about America. I can tell you that at least in my, my Egyptian Armenian family, that the hope was that coming to the United States, you would not no longer be a second class citizen and persecuted and so forth, that you would be on equal standing with everybody else and that you would be in a Christian country. Of course, that's turned out not to be true, right? We're in a very post-Christian America, so to speak. But um, so, so raising us is very difficult. And I would say that what has saved my faith in many ways, besides a life of the mind, the intellectual life and theology and philosophy and all that good stuff, right? Uh, what saved my faith is, is, is are, are the, the values of the Near East, uh, of the Middle East. Because, yeah, I didn't grow up poor because I grew up an American, you know, but I, my parents come from a poor country. So they have a very humble vibe to them that I think Americans lack, right? And that we need to bring back. I think this goes back to the idea of tapping into our spiritual and cultural DNA of, of the Near East, 
right? Um, and I think that Americans have a lot to learn actually from our elder brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith in this way. You know, Orthodox Jews, they keep the Sabbath. We don't keep the Sabbath. It's a commandment, Tom. We go to Mass on Sundays, maybe, some of us. But right, for not the, even all Catholics do but that. But not even That's all Catholics crazy. do that. But like for the ones that know better and do, we still don't keep a Sabbath, not really, right? So how can we become people that behold God's face if we're not even keeping the third commandment well, right? It's interesting with Israel, and I'm not an expert on Israel, but I was there last February. It's fascinating to me that even if you are not like personally religious, you know, and they, they hold a tension between like the secular and the religious in Israel, it's fascinating that their statistics on like women having children and families, and I mean, it's like very positive. It's looking good. And I have to believe that it has something to do with what we're talking about here that in the culture even if you personally are kind of secular and don't really believe or practice there is an error and about the place because of the faith because of those eastern values that really does influence you so uh, you know yeah, it's I, funny I, it's funny yeah. you mentioned birth rates too because one of the things that definitely comes to mind in terms of catholics is uh contraception yeah and how that's a that taboo topic that not a lot of catholics actually follow and yeah. Of course, what are the consequences of contraceptives and things like that? It's lack of children. Yeah. Um, so yeah. because I, I, I want to leave us on like, I feel like there's so much to learn from not only you, you're a great teacher, but uh, these Eastern values and values of our, our ancestors, essentially, because what we've seen with modern secular culture is it's, it's almost like suffering from excess. One of the things that I always think about this is like the rise of Walmart and cookie cutter homes and a lot of plastic throwaway culture. Uh, people can buy pretty much anything they want and they can get it delivered tomorrow. Uh, but things kind of lack a distinct uh, feeling or character, I guess. Like before when people would buy something, it'd be expensive, but it would last a long time because it was made to last. But uh, interesting trends have kind of shipped that away. And so we live in a very throwaway culture and even how we treat humans as well, of course, with abortion and things like that. I really want to take this opportunity to hopefully learn and so that we can continue to instill things that I believe are the antidote to that. So you mentioned Eastern values. Like if you could distill that into a few values that if you could say, you know, have been successful and I've noticed uh, really have helped people. What are those values if you could name a few? And then uh, what would you say are ways to implement that more and people that really are serious about their faith here in America or if you're listening to this abroad? Yeah, this is so interesting. Gosh, so I want to answer this in so many different ways. Let me just say really quickly to backtrack a little bit that when you said that like an American Catholic doesn't have like an ethnic identity to attach themselves to, I want to first remind everybody that there are 24 Catholic churches. One of them is the Roman Catholic Church, but the rest are tied to ethnicity. Now, there are more. Thank you for the correction. This yeah, is so sorry. true. There of course, are my blind spot, I'm Roman Catholic, of course. No, no, but. no, it's okay. There are more Roman Catholics than all the other Eastern Catholic churches combined. And that's why we have you have that blind spot. But I just thought I'd take the opportunity to mention it because I think it could be a very rich experience for people to tap into and to go visit. You can visit any Eastern Catholic church. You can go to Mass there on a Sunday. It counts for your Sunday obligation. We're not in schism. Uh, so that's just one thing to kind of feed that that Eastern part. I also, it's funny, Tom, I had a friend who like went to Notre Dame and she's Irish and, you know, I was trying to set her up with someone. I was like, it makes sense. You're Irish. He's Irish. He went to <laughs> Notre Dame. 
you went to Notre Dame. And she's like, Americans don't care about that. And I'm I'm like approaching it like a, a like a like an Egyptian girl. And she's like, that's so not what we that's not at all how we do it. You know, but I really encourage everybody listening, like, what is your what is your ethnic background? Who are the saints that evangelized your country? Like, lean into that because you're given that. Yeah, sure, you might be a Scottish, Irish, French, British, whatever, American, what. But so what? Like, go learn about that. Go learn about, if if you're if you're British, go learn about Saint Augustine of Canterbury. If you're German, go learn about Saint Boniface that evangelized. Like, go deep into what you've been given because it has something to do with your identity and therefore something to do with your calling in life. Okay, so that homily is over. But well, to your, it, yeah, it keeps you rooted. It, like, it definitely keeps rooted keeps to history. Rooted. Once you sever the roots, that's why you start feeling like you're floating around and you have no. It, you're rooted in your ancestors and the truth. I mean, even in America, you brought this up, but like, I always talk about how uh, Detroit was basically rebuilt by Father Gabriel Richard after it burned down in 1900. Huh. And uh, the city motto is from the ashes, we shall rise. And yes. so for all the people that are like, there's no American influences. I mean, you want to talk about like John Henry Newman and things like that. Like we have those examples out there and I even forget about them sometimes. So thank you for reminding me, of course. And of course yeah. we have yeah, I, Ireland, and I, I'm Croatian, so Croatian's very oh, Catholic. And Croatia, so that's I, like a great yeah. thing to be Croatian. What a, what a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful country. I mean, and yes. I love all the Croatians I've met and become friends with. They're amazing. I mean, so you, it's there, right? It's just you have to discover it. But I think you know when when I ever see like these white girls like convert to Islam and marry these Arab guys, it's because they just like want something like you said rooted to hold on to. But it's like. Christians, we have enough. We have so much, we're the, you know, to offer. We just have to to discover it. But in terms of Eastern values, I would say, of course, the strength of the West is the intellectual life, and the the temptation with the West is that we become very hyper rationalistic and moralistic. Right? It's a criticism that was made uh, by Dostoevsky, you know, when he said beauty will save the world, he was talking about the sacraments and the mysteries, like, Hey, you can have all the philosophical categories you want, but at the end of the day, it's like beauty and mystery. That's going to save you. He's not wrong. But I think what, again, in my own conversion, the intellectual life is crucial. And in terms of the religiously unaffiliated, they don't think the church or Christians are smart. So we need to be smart. We need to be educated. We need to read books. We need to feed our minds. This is the strength of the West. The strength of the East is, of course, the beauty and the mystery, the attachment to community and family life. Now, a lot of those values were supported because of poverty, right? When you're poor and dependent, you, when you're materially poor, worldly poor, you feel your spiritual poverty in a way that you don't when you have material riches. So I think those values arise from the fact of material poverty, but this is how material poverty is a good thing because it, it, may, it keeps you not so delusional about your spiritual poverty. I think that what the Easterners do so well, again, is, is that, is family, is community, is a, an, an awareness of dependency. I think that, in the, again, the West, you, we have to force that. Right. And I think that the secular world is so genius in telling us this. I mean, how many hipsters are there? What is, but what is being a hipster, but like trying to tap into, <laughs> right? Trying to tap into your, what you kind of intuit is your spiritual poverty in like, it's so it, true. It's so true. Or like, Catholics, and it's, so, it's, it's so fake. 
It's so fake. It's so fake. You're trying to tap into something that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, but like you're just you're. Tr- I know you're trying, right? You like you know right. that all the this, desires there. The That's desire is there. It's yeah. human nature, exactly. Or like Catholics that like all these guys that are doing their flip phone, like they're going back to flip phones. Which good for you. You want to disconnect, but like again, it's that desire to be like more actually connected and less like virtually connected. You know. Yeah. So we're like struggling to get there. Uh, and these are kind of bougie ways of doing it, but <laughs> <laughs> at least the instincts, right? But the I'm instincts, like, I'm, I'm all right. for the flip phone homies. Yeah, like, but go back to the flip phone, get ex- off the smart. Yeah, exactly. But if the, if the Western Church really wants to tap into her Eastern roots, well, you you got to like you first, I think, travel to the Near East, but then also like study study the Jewish roots of the faith, be in touch with that uh, with our Eastern and uh, spiritual and cultural DNA. But then, and that's what actually the Feelus Project is all about. Um, but then, but then also make this, try to make the sacrifices to keep the Sabbath and to actually foster deep community connection because it's, it's not beautiful, right? To, to commit yourself to a parish or to a community or to foster a friend group or in my context, an endow group. Sometimes that means you're going to be with people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with, but somehow life will be richer because you're living a deeper connection with people. Yeah. It's like getting back to the, uh, state of nature, like real connections. We've kind of, we're in this matrix connections phase where it's like, oh, I have social media friends or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you brought up such an interesting point when it comes to dependency. Americans have basically convinced themselves that they are self-dependent. Yeah. And that's actually a virtue is being being self-dependent. But the danger of that is if you feel super dependent, you don't need to depend on God at all. You yeah. only need to depend on yourself. Yeah. Of course, materially. And then of course you get depression. You, you need, But it's such an interesting fallacy of the West. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask too, because you're you're clearly very, very educated. I could talk to you all day, I think. Do you have any book recommendations for people that want to continue to develop the intellectual traditions that were influential to you? You know, back to, I think, Peeper. I really do. I do think if you, and it's a difficult book. I would read it, Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Joseph Peeper. I mean, I read it, Tom, I read it uh, like multiple times, but it really did unlock in me the key to understanding that the whole beginning of my freedom and therefore our collective freedom in a culture is to cultivate that capacity, what people call that mental and spiritual attitude of openness. And only in that distraction-free interior space is there even the beginnings of possibility of prayer. And then in that prayer, in that dialogue with destiny, in that dialogue with God, that I can really begin to see how I'm supposed to play this game. That's and I think, I think that that's, no, there's nothing more interesting than that. Yeah, that book changed my whole perception. It was, I read a freshman year of college, good old uh, liberal arts education. I mean, but, right? I mean, yeah. think about that. I, I, think, I think for me, that, that book. And then um, I really like, um, this book by Luke Burgess and Joshua Miller called Unrepeatable. And what they do in that is they are calling for the church to cultivate a, per, a, a culture of personal vocations. A personal vocation is not your state in life. It's not called, whether you're called to be a priest or married. Your personal vocation is who you become when you become the sort of person who can behold God's face. You. is t- stepping into who you are. That's something much bigger than your state and life vocation. Wow. That's beautiful. Uh, I could go on forever, but I think we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty soon. 
Uh, for people, uh, Simone, if they want to follow your work, just follow you, get more information. Where can they find you? Yes, uh, culturalgypsy.com. You can find me there. I'd love to hear from you. And it's a great I also, name. I, thank you. <laughs> and I, I also wrote, um, I wrote a, a biblical examination of conscience based on leisure. If anybody's interested in a litany of leisure, you're welcome. Is it is it on that website? It, it is in the resources. Okay, I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so Simone, so good having you on. Thank you for taking the time and uh, best of luck with all you have going on. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for this opportunity to talk about Armenia. Really appreciate it. <laughs>